Bowers Balls. Nothing personal phrase of the day is B squared. Bowers Balls, as in Trevor Bauer, as in foreign substances, as in his balls have been taken away by Major League Baseball. I think when you're making $40 million, is it safe to say that no one can take away your balls? Trevor Bauer has been very protective of his balls. He's been very protective of his spin rate. He's been very outspoken on Twitter with his agent, Rachel Luba. And it is quite an issue these days. Here's what happened. Trevor Bauer signs with the Dodgers, becomes the highest paid annually player ever. He's making the most money this year that any player's ever made any year, ever, ever, ever. He may be making Coca more money in one year than a player like Don Mattingly made in his career. But I digress. That's life. That's life, baby. MLB says, we're going to crack down on foreign substances. Players say, don't crack down on foreign substances. We like having foreign substances. We like touching our balls with various things, creams and jellies and pine tar. Hitters say, we don't mind when pitchers touch their balls. We're good. We're fine. We don't want to get hit in the face. MLB says, no, we're going to take some balls out of play. We're going to study them. I like that. We're going to study them. I've seen so many balls. I've seen Coca that have foreign substances on them. I'm trying to think how it would go that I would study them. I would look at the ball and I would say, ooh, that's pine tar. I'd look at another ball and say, ooh, that's some KY jelly. Way to go, guys. Hey, I'd say to the pitchers, notice how I'm not naming names. Why would I name names? I can't think of an amalgam for every name of every pitcher over the course of my career. Hundreds of pitchers using foreign substances, doing things with their nails, doing things with the ball. So here's why pitchers do it. The whole, I wish I had a baseball with me right now, but I don't. That's not in a case. I could probably take a ball out of a case if you're watching this on YouTube. What pitchers do, everything they do is based on the feel of the ball, which is why when the ball changes, when the seams are sort of bigger or bumpier or raised, pitchers know it immediately. When there's a difference in the texture or the shape or it's wound too tightly, because what baseballs are, wound string underneath. If you actually peel off a baseball, peel off the, the leather of the baseball, it's it's a it's really like a tightly wound rubber banded ball, if you will. So players can tell, much like I told you Tom Brady can tell the exact inflation rate of a football, and Michael Jordan can tell you the exact inflated PSI of a basketball. Lance Armstrong can tell you the exact inflation of his tires. Baseball players can tell you anytime there's a small difference in the ball. And so what they do is they create changes in the ball themselves in order to have the ball do things that they practice. That's what bullpens are for. So they notice a different tail on the fastball or a different cut, or they notice a better break. So baseball players did not ask for these investigations to take place. Major League Baseball did it because in their view, the substances on the ball is leading to decreased offense it's leading to more strikeouts. And that is an outcome that is concerning to Major League Baseball because it's concerning to the owners, because they think it's concerning to the fans, because the fans think that I'm not gonna watch it, which is then concerning to the broadcast partners. So there's a whole chain of concern. 
So baseball says they're going to take balls out of play and they're going to study them. They did this about five years ago, Coca. Maybe it was 10 years ago, six years ago. They were going to take bats out of play. Remember when there was a big concern that bats were breaking all the time and how dangerous it was back when fans were in the stands, back before there was netting going all the way down the foul lines, broken bats would be flung into the dugout, splintered, hurting people. I was always terribly scared of bats. I like sitting behind a net always. When you go to a game, I would always prefer to sit behind a net so I wouldn't have to worry about it. And the technology of the nets is so much better. You don't really, it doesn't seem like you're sitting in a fish tank. So bats were splintering. So MLB said, we're going to test bats. So MLB sent a memo to all the teams. Do not give away your broken bats, which we used to do for charity or we'd sell them, give them to people. And so we ended up taking these bats out of play. You send them to Major League Baseball. They study them and they came up with these conclusions about this kind of wood and that kind of wood. And you need this kind of wood. In my view, any kind of wood is a good kind of wood. So baseball now said, we're going to up our ante and we're going to take the balls out of play and we're going to study them. Word comes out yesterday through Ken Rosenthal. Ken Rosenthal is a MLB insider. He is one of the most locked in insiders in baseball. I see I'm not a reporter. I don't get scoops. I don't give you scoops here. I just tell you exactly what's happening once I know what's happening and I'll interpret it for you and we'll talk about it and give you the truth about it. Ken Rosenthal gets scoop. When I was uh, in baseball, I couldn't stand Ken Rosenthal, not personally, just professionally, because the guy had information before we wanted it to get out. And it used to drive me crazy. And I learned to love the fact that he just had great sources within the organization. So Ken Rosenthal writes an article that Trevor Bauer's balls from his recent outing against the Oakland A's were taken out of play and are being sent to MLB for testing and for examination. She wrote a whole article about this and it was not an article full of attitude. It was an article full of fact, but Trevor Bauer decided that he was none too happy. So he and Rachel Luba went on the offense and basically they were sullying Ken Rosenthal's reputation calling him a gossip monger and a gossip blogger, wanting to know why Ken Rosenthal would write what he wrote. And then he sent a bunch of tweets, LOL, always fun, reading desperate and misleading clickbait headlines from national gossip bloggers. I think he doth protest too much. He claims that balls are being taken out of play by many pitchers. And he's right except Ken Rosenthal never said that balls will only be taken out of play of Trevor's. MLB doesn't have it in for Trevor. The Dodgers don't have it in for Trevor. Even the Reds don't have it in, or the Indians, or Terry Francona, or me, or Kenny. No one has it in for Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer can be good for the game. He's got a good social media following. But what's not good for the game is his constant whining, complaining, and thinking the world is against him. It's running thin in baseball circles. It's running thin in Dodger circles. There is great concern that the Dodgers already have about whether or not the clubhouse has been ruined by Trevor Bauer's presence in the clubhouse. MLB has a small problem here and it can be solved. And I'm here to solve it. When you've got a player who may or may not be a face of baseball, 
argue, arguable that Trevor Bauer's the face of baseball. He may have the most social media following, so that may count as being a face of baseball, actually. And certainly not the best player in baseball, certainly not the best pitcher in baseball, not even close. For me, it's Jacob DeGrom and a runaway hard stop. But when baseball and its integrity gets questioned, that's when the commissioner usually has the hair on his neck stand up and immediately snaps into attention and gets a statement out. There's such animosity between players and the commissioner. I'm wondering whether he was advised to say something, but said, you know what, I've had enough. I'm getting so much heat over the All-Star game being moved, which I did for the players. I'm not going to give them another olive branch on this. And I think that's a mistake. I think the commissioner needed to come out with a statement, except it wouldn't have been the commissioner I would have had. This is not commissioner worthy. It's commissioner office worthy. That's a very important distinction to make. There are certain times the commissioner has to attach his name to something, and certain times the office attaches the name or the deputy commissioner or someone in on-field operations. In this case, I would have Michael Hill do it senior VP of on-field operations. And I would have a statement come out that says, in the first week of the season, because it's now been eight days, and this should have come out yesterday, in the first week of the season, as per the new directive by the commissioner, where we are studying baseballs and beginning to crack down on foreign substances on baseballs, we have removed approximately X number of baseballs from Y number of games. Our plan has been and continues to be to do a cross-section study, a random study. We're not picking on any particular player who has an increase in spin rate. That is bizarre. You know, all the pitchers who go to Houston get this huge increase in spin rate. Trevor Bauer taught us that except Trevor Bauer neglected to mention that he had a huge increase in spin rate as well. There is an argument to be made that an increase in spin rate is based solely on doctoring the ball, not all of a sudden learning different grips or different places to stand on the rubber. I'm on the third base side now. I got great spin rate. I used to be on the first base side. Now I'm on the third base side. I come set at my hips, not at my chest. If you're watching this on YouTube, I'm coming set at my chest, not at my hips. The hips don't lie. That should have been the statement. Bauer's ball should not be the story. They should never be the story. No one cares, Trevor. This is not about you. Frankly, it shouldn't be about studying foreign substances at all because I'm all in. I'm all in on sign stealing. I'm all in on foreign substances. Do whatever you have to do. Good luck. We always told our players, if you can't figure out what the other team's doing to figure and knows, then you know you don't know that they have our signs then you're not doing a good enough job at changing the signs. If you're getting caught with foreign substances, you're not putting them in the right place. Trevor Bauer had one good point I want to mention. How do you know the pitcher put the foreign substance on? No doubt. I've seen position players with foreign substances underneath their uniform, and maybe they doctor the ball and then give it back to the pitcher. Remember how Corbin Burnson in Major League would take the ball and then deliver it to Charlie Sheen, even though there were other reasons why he was going to the mound? Position players go to the mound all the time. Take the ball, rub the ball, look at the ball hand it back, put the ball out of play, get a new ball. The umpire looks at the ball and then he throws it away. Looks at the ball, rubs it, puts it back in his pocket for reuse. Never happens anymore. Everyone knows what's going on. It's going to be okay, Trevor. I promise you. Word of the day, Bowers Balls.
No way to segue into the second topic. I, it could have been the first topic of the day. It's a very horrific, another gun tragedy in our country took place yesterday involving a National Football League player. If you didn't read about what happened, there was someone in South Carolina who walked into a house, killed five people, and then killed himself. Word came out yesterday was a former NFL player named Philip Adams, sort of a journeyman player. Played for the Niners, Falcons, a couple other teams, defensive player. Lots of injuries during his career. Lots of concussions in his career. And he was caught killing five people and then killing himself. Same day that President Biden came out with some conversation on gun control. I wanted to take advantage of the platform that you've all given me to spend a few minutes on guns and explain a few of my positions and ask you all a few things to just think about. It is an, not a third rail topic, but it's something that most people in having a sports podcast won't talk about. But you know, we do sports, entertainment, politics. We do anything that Coke and I want to do. Sorry, CBS. I'm emotional about guns because my personal view is I'm incredibly anti-gun. I am pro-Constitution. I understand the Second Amendment, and I want the Second Amendment, which gives people the right to bear arms. And I don't want to take that right away. But I do have a question that I think about every day. Why is it easier to get a gun than it is to get a driver's license? Why is it easier to get a gun than it is to become a father or an abusive father? Why is it easier to get an automatic weapon than it is to get your car registered at the DMV? What is the need that individuals have to have automatic weapons personally in their stash? What's the need to have certain additions to a gun that can either make it fire more rounds, fire faster, or steady your hand? Why is it that people feel that if we stop gun violence or attempt to stop gun violence by putting some sort of regulation on acquiring guns that we are infringing on the constitutional rights? Why is it, and you know where I stand politically, do you? I'm neither Republican nor Democrat. There are certain things about each party that I agree with. But why is it that it has become a political issue where if you believe that gun violence is wrong, that you are all of a sudden against our constitution, un-American. They're coming for the guns. Next, they're gonna come for your freedom. How does that conversation happen? How do people look in the mirror and look at the gun violence that takes place? Philip Adams was sick. I'm gonna operate under the assumption that everyone who does a mass shooting is sick, mentally ill, everyone. Whether you kill five people, in this case he killed his doctor because his doctor wasn't giving him medicine anymore. Whether you kill children, whether you kill adults in a grocery store, your fellow employees, your spouse, doesn't matter. To take another life means that you're sick to purposely take another life. 
I'm in complete favor of treating the mentally ill and the mentally infirm. But why do we make it easier for them to act on their impulses that are based on mental illness? I've been unable to get one Republican, one member of the NRI, NRA, to explain to me why they are against background checks, why they are against waiting periods, why they are against taking away automatic weapons, other than the impact it will have because of the slippery slope we are on. And the next thing you know, we will not be allowed to defend ourselves. That's what they always go to. We got to defend ourselves. It's only in sports folks that a good, that a good offense starts with a good defense, but that's not the expression. Coke, I totally screwed it up. Every good defense starts with a good offense. I don't know what the expression is. If you're having guns because you want to protect your property, you want to protect your business, you want to protect your family, forget the stats that the majority of people, anecdotally, who have guns at home have the guns used on them more than they use them on someone else. Forget the fact that you don't need an automatic weapon to defend yourself and that it's got to be a proportionate response. If someone knocks on your door, you can't shoot them. But we allow people to have the argument because we play into people's fear. What's the number one fear everyone has on both sides of the political aisle? Freedom. Do not take away my freedom. I want the right to step off this out of this studio and walk out the door right now. I want the right to eat whenever I want, to do whatever I want, any day, any hour, any week. Don't take that freedom away. Liberty. God, that word has changed meaning over hundreds of years so significantly. The inability to have certain access to guns for certain people. Why is it that you can't get a driver's license till you're 16 or 18? Why is it that you can't drink till you're 18 or 21? Because the government has decided correctly so over time with the benefit of analysis and evidence that drinking or driving at an age below the legal limit causes more accidents, more deaths, more problems, more sickness. Doesn't mean that people don't violate it. Is there not enough evidence that people who have access to a gun when they're emotional, they can get a gun the same day and then go shooting people the same day? Have you not heard enough of those stories? Are you worried that you can't defend your home if you have to wait 30 days? How many more shootings? We've been asking that for years. Forget, I'm not even discussing the people on the far right who don't believe that the mass shootings happen or happened or were made up. I'm not talking about people on the far left who would be just as fine eliminating every sort of rights under the Second Amendment. I'm talking about living somewhere in the middle. And our country's become so polarized that the middle has become like a minefield. You can't be in the middle. You got to be left of left or right of right or else we're not even talking to you. A centrist? Forget about it. How many more mass shootings? And let there be no doubt that when you walk in and kill five people, including a doctor, his wife, and their grandchildren, that's a mass shooting. How many times do you have to hear from someone, yeah, I can't believe my kid did that. I wasn't expecting it. He must have been really messed up. He must have been really sick. I didn't see it coming. 
If you got 30 days in between buying a gun and using a gun and getting a gun, maybe you can have people paying attention. I'm reminded of the Secretary of Homeland Security, Jay Johnson, who started the phrase, if you see something, say something. How can you say something or see something when there's no opportunity to see it? I want one person to stand up and tell me why. Why is it that any shootings and any killings is acceptable? Is that like plane crashes? Is that like car accidents? where you keep driving even though people die in car crashes, you keep flying even though people die in plane accidents, you keep skydiving even though people die skydiving, you keep having guns even though people get shot. Is that the theory? I can't just pick up and fly a plane. I read about Philip Adams last night and I cannot describe to you how sick I felt to my stomach. I felt sick for the families of the people who died, and I felt sick of feeling as sick as I felt with all the shootings that take place. There will be an inflection point. I just don't know when, and I don't know which direction. And it's certainly not a wait to see. It is a guarantee. Something will change because you all and I, everyone in this country should be embarrassed and mortified by the lack of gun control by the amount of gun violence that takes place in this country. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. Thank you for making it through the gauntlet of commercials. We get into quite a few Mets stories here, and we're going to review a movie. Today is Friday, April 9th. Thank you for downloading, following, and subscribing to Nothing Personal. Things are going great, I think. Coca tells me they're going well. He just says, just shut up and keep talking for 45 minutes today. Let me worry about your numbers, Dave. When he calls me Dave, I know there's something going on. Hey, Dave, we got to talk about something. 
I don't think you should have said X, Y, and Z. That's what he does after every show. Wait till after this show and he says, ooh, I really did not think you were going to go into that type of gun control conversation. You promised me it would only be eight minutes and it turned out to be 10. I actually don't know how long it was, Coca. That's what we do post-show. So thank you for downloading, following, subscribing, telling your friends. We get to watch a movie every day. Yesterday, I watched a movie with Tim Robbins' pinup model. Her name is Sophia Loren. Sophia Loren is now in her 80s. If you've never seen Sophia Loren in her prime, she was an amazing actress, still is, a beautiful woman. They used to call them pinup models. The reason they were pinup is there would be pictures that would be pinned to a wall, a pinup model. I'm opening myself up to criticism there, Coco, because I don't know if that's why they're called pinup models. I think they are. That would make sense to me. I totally just thought of that now. I'm going to assume that's right. If not, I'm sure I'll hear from you. Well, we're watching Oscar-nominated movies, and The Life Ahead was nominated. The song in The Life Ahead was nominated for Best Song, Best Original Song. It's a movie in Italian with subtitles. I'm on quite a subtitle and documentary run right now. This is not a documentary. This is a movie directed by her son. And it is a movie. Sophia Loren has not been in a movie in a decade. What a movie star she is. This role was meant for her. It's a movie about a, a former prostitute who starts taking care of the kids of current prostitutes, running sort of a makeshift orphanage, if you will. In comes a little boy named Momo. And the story is about the relationship between the little kid and this older woman. And I don't mean a sexual relationship. I mean the relationship of a kid who has no family, no parents, no manners, a drug dealer, and all of a sudden he grows into a young man. She's a Holocaust survivor in the movie. There are extremely interesting underlying themes that are pervasive in this movie. It is an hour and 50 minutes approximately. And while you may not love subtitle movies, give Sophia Loren the benefit of your doubt Watch the performance by the young actor who plays Muhammad or Momo, and you will not be sorry. The Life Ahead with Sophia Loren. So while I was watching a movie, but during baseball season, I'm sort of careful when I watch the movies, although I've got plenty of hours in the day to do it, but there's baseball on all day. And the new collective bargaining agreement, which is coming next year, will have a lot of changes. But one thing that has changed with this collective bargaining agreement is game times. There's way more afternoon games because players complain so much about travel and getting to cities late because they wanted to get to cities early so they could go out in the cities where they were. No one likes to get in at 2 a.m. There's no place to go out. Well, there are only a few places. If you want to find a place, you can in most cities, certain cities, not all cities. So there's way more afternoon games. So there's games on pretty much all day long. I was watching the Mets home opener yesterday. Always an afternoon game. Great to see fans in the stands. They're playing the Marlins. I can't help but watch the Marlins. I have no connection to anyone there except Don Mattingly any longer. It's good to see Brian Anderson doing well. Miguel Rojas. I hope that Kim Ang wins some games. No doubt about that. So I'm watching the Mets and Marlins play. And all of a sudden... In comes Anthony Bass, a closer they signed to a two-year deal. Reminded me of a deal that we did for a closer. We were at our best when we signed closers to one-year deals. 
We had that run of Joe Borowski, Armando, Armando Benitez. Who else did we have in that run? We had Leo Nunez for a couple of years who did well, whose name wasn't Leo Nunez. It was Juan Carlos Oviedo. Oviedo. We had another guy. We had uh, Ugeth Urbina in 03, maybe Benitez 0405, Borowski one of those years, someone else. And we didn't start having multiple year closers until Heath Bell, which was a total disaster. The Marlins signed Anthony Bass two years. Don't know why. Comes in. He's already blown a save. First pitch, first batter is a guy named uh, McNeil, batting seventh for the Mets. He hadn't had a hit all season, I don't think. And he hit a home run to tie the game in the bottom of the ninth that you just don't often see. He just squared up and uh, had an epic bat flip. So it's 2-2, save is blown. Anthony Bass continues to load the bases. And then what happened is just incredible. Michael Conforto was up. Michael Conforto, the guy who was trying to negotiate a $300 million extension, who was unable to. Lindor got the extension done with the Mets. Steve Cohn said, we still want to look at Syndergaard and look at Michael Conforto. Michael Conforto with Scott Boras as an agent said that uh, he wasn't prepared to sign. Conforto has not started off very well at the plate. Conforto comes to the plate. He looks a little scared. One out, bases loaded, put the ball in play, and you've got yourself a win. Get the ball in the air. You got yourself a win. Infield's in, outfield's in. Michael Conforto takes two sliders for strikes, takes a ball. All of a sudden, there's next pitch up and in. Michael Conforto's at the plate. The ball grazes his elbow pad. The umpire, Ron Culp, who is a very, very good umpire, by the way, starts to ring him up with a called third strike, but instead sees that Conforto has been hit, awards him first base, the runner from third scores because the bases were loaded, and the Mets have a walk-off hit by pitch. The Marlins go crazy. And there is confusion on the field. There is confusion because people don't realize what is reviewable and what is not reviewable. We are given as executives a laminated book of all reviewable plays that we carried with us to every game. We have that and the rule book with us whenever we'd watch a game. Any executive that tells you they know every rule in the rule book is lying to you, they don't. They say they've read the rule book. 50% 50% have read the rule book, 0% have memorized the rule book, 100% have the rule book with them. We had to carry with us the CBA, the rule book, and the replay plays when you can replay a play, call for a replay. So when a play like that happens, and we've had that happen many times where we have to go to the book immediately and look to see whether or not we can call for a replay, and we'll get in touch immediately with the dugout if it's not replayable or if it is. There's a very simple rule that umpire's judgment is not replayable. And in this case, Ron Culpa judged that Michael Conforto got hit by the ball and that the ball was not a strike. Why is that relevant? Because if you are hit by a pitch that's a strike, that's not a hit by pitch. The right call in this case would have been out. Conforto would have struck out, would have been two outs, bases loaded. But once Culpa makes the play and makes the call, the only thing that can be reviewed in that case is whether or not he got hit by a pitch, not whether the ball was a strike. And what bothered me about that 
is it reminded me of sitting in competition committee meetings and talking about replay when it was being born, when it was being developed. John Scherholz was the father of instant replay, a Hall of Fame executive, as he should be. Joe Torre, a Hall of Fame manager and just all around great guy. The question I had about replay was, if we're going to have it, explain to me why the object, the single object of replay is to get a call right. Can I get anyone to agree with that? Don't talk to me about specifics. Answer me this one macro question. Is the object of replay to get every play correct? Be careful how you answer that. If you say yes, then you can't be upset when a man steals second and his foot comes off the bag and the second baseman keeps the tag applied and the tag is applied and still applied when the feet are off the base because sometimes the feet are off the base for a split second and the umpire misses the call, but video captures the foot above the bag, the tag, the the runner's out. You okay with that? They said, no, that's not the purpose of replay. And I said, why not? You just said the purpose of replay is to get every play right. If you are not on the bag and you get tagged, whether it's through the hidden ball trick or the fact that you were running so hard, you could not hold on to the bag, you're out. Don't overslide the bag. When there is a call that's made by an umpire that is clearly incorrect, while it was a judgment call, but it's clearly incorrect, and you have a chance to make it right, and then you don't, are you not violating the exact principles of replay that you invented replay to protect against? Or is your position, which many people in the room in the competition committee had, we are here to not eliminate incorrect calls, we're here to minimize incorrect calls. I raise my hand, excuse me, excuse me, I'm sorry. What does that mean, to minimize? incorrect calls? Does that mean if there's 10 incorrect calls a night, you'd rather have seven? Or you want to go from 10 to three? Or you're going to start naming every circumstance where there can be a replay and hope to minimize those from 10 to zero in those circumstances. That's it, David. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to carve out different areas and try to get from 10 to zero in those areas. And then 10, we'll keep it at 10 in the other areas. I raise my hand again. Excuse me. If replay can be used, to minimize calls in every scenario from 10 towards zero. What was your reason again? Ah, we don't want to delay the game. I said, okay, excuse me, one quick second. Here's how you don't delay the game. You have an umpire in the sky at the ballpark or in New York that's assigned to a game. When there is a call that is in question, or even not in question where there's an incorrect call made. The umpires have an earpiece. The umpire says to the umpire, fellow umpires, he got that one wrong. That was a strike. That batter's out. Done. Excuse me. My hand's up. Hi. Yeah. Anyone watch tennis? How long do those replays take? The ball is either on the line. It didn't hit the line. It's off the line. A sliver hit the line. 
That's it. You move on. The umpires don't get upset. The line judges don't get upset. Oh, I missed that call of a ball going 100 miles an hour, hitting the corner of a white line with a tiny yellow ball. You think the umpires will be upset that they didn't quite see in a split-second moment a fate, uh, off the bat, a uh, foot off the bag, or a foul tip, foul versus fair? The object is to get the call right, and the umpires got the call wrong. He then admitted it after the game. That used to be the way it was before replay. Umpires got calls wrong all the time. Then you send in one reporter. They called it a pool reporter. When you read the article, a pool reporter said, that's because the umpires aren't going to meet with 10 reporters. They meet with one reporter under the rule that that reporter has to give the quotes to every other reporter, no scoops. A pool reporter wonder why it's called the pool reporter, Coca. Do you have any idea? Maybe because they dive into the deep end of the pool on behalf of everybody in the shallow end, and then they swim back and give everybody the life preserver? No, that can't be it. Someone will tell me at David P. Sampson what the provenance is of pool reporter. That used to be the way it was. I'm sorry I made a mistake. Culpa said the same thing yesterday. He did a Mia Culpa. I can't take credit for that. Saw that on the Twitter. Mia culpa, Ronnie said. I got it wrong. That clearly was a strike. The batter should have been out. Well, my question for baseball is this. Are you okay with that? Because you used to be okay with that. I was okay with that before replay. Bad calls happen. We would tell our players when bad calls happen and they'd be upset or our executives, GM, or owner would be unhappy. We'd say it all evens out in the end. We lost a call today. We'll gain a call tomorrow. At the end of the year, we will get as many calls as we lose. We'll gain as many victories as games that we lose. It all evens out. Then replay happened, and I had a total change of view. And my view was, screw it. If you're going to do replay, make it fast, make it often, and get every call right. Well, I think that's what needs to change. Every play should be reviewable. Every single play should be reviewable. What's wrong with that? And once it's reviewed, get the call right. You know what's been really right, Coca, for me recently? I mean, like, really, really right? The nothing personal pick of the day. We had the Cards beating the Brewers, and boy, did they ever. By the way, Coca, it's Friday. You guys will all love this listening to this. Coca just got into my ear what the press pool is. A group of news gathering organizations pooling their resources in the collection of news. Thank you, Coca. That is some kind of value added. Why is it called a pool? Pooling their resources? They're not pooling their resources. They're sending one person in. Yeah, whatever. Cardinals beat the Brewers. We said Adam Wainwright would have a good game. He did. Cardinals won. We are 46 and 28. 46 and 28. We're doing three picks this weekend. Three picks today. We're doing a Friday, a Saturday, and a Sunday. Tonight, the Tigers play the Indians. Julio Tehran pitches for the Tigers now. Remember how good he used to be when he was on the Braves? We couldn't beat him. We could not beat him. Well, Zach Plesak will. Indians over the Tigers Friday night. Book it. Saturday's the the lock of the weekend. We're going to take Jacob DeGrom, and you're going to win over the course of the season. The Mets are playing the Marlins. I've got DeGrom winning that game on Saturday. We're taking the Mets. Uh, If there's a way, Coca, can you bet on number of runs scored in the game given up by DeGrom? I know you can do the over-under. 
I don't know what the over-under is in that game. I don't know if there's a prop bet of DeGrom throwing a shutout, but the Marlins offense is absolutely anemic. And when you face a pitcher like DeGrom, you're not going to score. DeGrom will not give up an earned run in that game. Sunday's game, sticking in the National League East, Braves play the Phillies. I want you to watch that game because of Drew Smiley, a very underrated pickup. The Braves started 0-4. People were panicked. Samson, your World Series pick stinks. I think I tweeted out, has anyone ever won the World Series after losing their first three games? And Jason Stark responded, yes. Don't worry, David. Your pick is still in play. Drew Smiley is an underrated addition for the Atlanta Braves. Sunday, we've got the Braves over the Phillies. Nothing personal picks of the weekend. And pow. All right, Coca, we're finally getting to Quebec. Finally. It took three days, but we are getting to Montréal. Il y a une question du baseball de Montréal. Hello, Coca. Are you there? You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. I didn't hear any of that, Coca. Hello. Anyway, it's so you want to talk to Samson. That is from the movie Half-Baked. You ask me questions on Twitter at David P. Sampson. Get in my DMs. We'll answer a bunch of them as often as we can. Respond on Twitter. I do when I can, when I can't sleep. Random times during the day, you'll see me responding to your DMs. Hi, David. Hello. The Quebec provincial government has indicated that they may contribute to the construction of a new baseball stadium in downtown Montreal. This could be through a loan or other means. Does that change your perspective on the return of the Montreal Expos? You know my background. Two years as executive vice president of the Montreal Expos. The violin player on the Titanic. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. Wasn't my fault the Expos left Montreal. I sure as hell didn't help, but it wasn't my fault. We couldn't get a new stadium done in Montreal because we couldn't get any public financing whatsoever. None, zero. Baseball made it very clear that without a new stadium in Montreal, the team would not stay in Montreal. Baseball then moved the Montreal team to Washington. I said to the public officials in Montreal, if you don't build a new stadium in Montreal, you're going to want your team back and you're going to have to pay double because the price of stadiums will skyrocket. Sky rockets are in flight in Montreal. The cost of a new ballpark is going to be significant because they need a roof, even though the Tampa Bay Rays are saying they don't need a roof because they're only going to play in Montreal during the summer, and then they'll play in Tampa during the spring and fall. So nobody needs a roof. Give me $200 million, and we'll build you a stadium without a roof. Okay. Here's my view of the provincial government in Quebec giving any money for a stadium in Montreal. Show me the money. A loan is not money. What are the other means? Are you going to increase taxes? Are you going to require a vote? Is there going to be a referendum that the team is going to have to pay for in terms of advertisements and getting the word out to try to win the referendum. By the way, side note, when you have all those ballot box questions and the referendums where you vote and you don't know what the heck you're voting on, but you write yes or no, you have no idea the chicanery that takes place with the wording of those referendi. There's so many negatives or triple negatives or quadruple negatives. You don't know what is even being asked for. 
You don't know whether or not someone wants a yes. Does a yes mean more money, higher taxes, money to public people, private people? You don't know crap about crap. I digress. Quebec provincial government is not going to give Stephen Bronfman money to build a stadium. Stephen Bronfman is leading a charge to get the Expos back in Montreal. <clears throat> I don't believe that that is ever going to happen. But if it were to happen, that is not in any way going to change my view of baseball working in Montreal because there's one tiny bit missing. Baseball has asked for two things out of Montreal in order to be a viable expansion or relocation candidate. Number one, build me a stadium. Number two, get me a TV deal. And the TV deal has to be comparable to U.S. TV deals. How's that going to happen? Réseau de sport? Bronfman going to start a network? I don't like that the people of Montreal are being teased in the way they're being teased because I was one of the teasers. And I love Montreal and I love the people and I love the city and I love Quebec. Et j'aime beaucoup de parler français. And all of these little nuggets and press releases and appearances by Bronfman going to the All-Star Game or going to the World Series or Stu Sturmberg of Tampa saying the Montreal solution is the best solution we have and it's going to happen. And now a nugget here about the Quebec provincial government indicating they may do something. That doesn't advance the ball by an inch. It just makes people feel like crap thinking that they will get a team again for all the great baseball fans there who didn't go to games because of what happened in 94 with the strike, who didn't go to games because of me, whatever the reason they didn't go to games. However much they promised to go to games in the future, which I hope they do. You're not even one step closer. So what I think you should all do in Quebec is ask your government not to lend money to somebody, but to call baseball and Rob Manford and say, this is a fully funded stadium deal. Here are the specs. We've hired a legitimate architect. We have legitimate builders and contractors. This is what the ballpark will look like. Here is the roof. Here is the TV deal that the new owners will inherit. Here is the deal compared to what other teams have. And then Rob Manford will have no choice but to look in the eyes of all the Quebecois and say, hey, you got yourself a team. It's just business. It's nothing personal.